Whew. That was awesome. Well, today we're going to begin our Christmas series at Rio, and we've entitled it, as you can see, God Gave, and it's subtitled, The Look at the Gift and Cost of Christmas. And I want to talk a little bit about the title, because I fear that if I don't, you're maybe going to misunderstand at least part of what this whole series is about, because when you hear the title, God Gave, A Look at the Gift and Cost of Christmas, what do you automatically assume? I mean, you automatically assume that what we're going to be talking about is the gift of Jesus that God gave us at Christmas, and then, as you just heard sung, of the cost that he paid, he was born to die, that he might purchase us, that he might redeem us, that he might forgive us, that he might cleanse us, that he might welcome us into the family of God, give us citizenship in heaven, give us purpose and meaning, and on and on, that all of the infinite blessings of the infinite Jesus might be ours. When you hear the sermon or the series title, God gave a look at the gift and cost of Christmas, you say, well, that's all that it's going to be about. And believe me, that's a lot. And we are going to talk about that. But we're also going to talk about the gift and cost of Christmas to me, and the gift and cost of Christmas to you, and the gift and cost of Christmas to every follower of Christ, everyone who has received from the Lord God the gift of life, the gift of Christ. And that's a little unnerving, isn't it? Cost is not the word you wanted to come to church to hear about this morning, is it? I mean, we just got through Black Friday. We've got all of the Christmas season coming, and some of you are sitting here thinking, good grief, man, you know, that's not what I signed up for this morning. Tom, do you have any idea how many people I am already obligated to buy gifts for? My husband, my wife, my kids, my parents, my nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, all of these people in the office, this woman down the street who gets me something every year even though I barely know her, but now I've got to do the return gift deal and it has to be at least as nice as the one that she gives to me, you know, and there'll be five other people just like that and some of you buy in advance. It's like, I'm not sure who all I'm going to get a gift from this Christmas, but I think I can give them one of these when I do. It's overwhelming. And just to add to your stress, I am not talking about giving one of those kind of gifts this morning. It's not it. Let me put it differently. I am not talking about giving a gift to someone who in reality does not need for you to give them anything. That is not what I'm talking about. Now, I'm not against those gifts. I don't mind getting them, by the way. It's not funny. But no, really. I give them, okay? It's great. It's fun. I enjoy that. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the opportunity and the privilege that you have this Christmas season to give a gift to someone who in reality probably needs just about everything or at the very least needs what you are uniquely capable of giving. And guys, that, I think, is really the kind of gift that Christmas calls us to give. Think about the gift of Christ for a minute. God did not give Jesus to a group of people who really didn't need him. God gave Jesus to a group of people that he then divinely enabled by his grace to see just how desperately we do need him. There is a gift And there is a cost to Christmas. And the point that I'm going to champion for four weeks in a row is going to be that that gift and cost is not just the gift and cost that God gave and paid, but there is a gift and a cost to Christmas for us. However, unlike the credit card bill we're going to get in January, 
It's not a cost that any of us will ever regret having to pay. Usually, it's the most significant thing we do all year, and in some cases, ever. There's a gift and cost to Christmas, you know, and as you get into the Christmas story, you begin to see that. I mean, it runs through the lives of the characters of the Christmas story that we're going to be looking at these next four weeks, but start with Mary. It's where the story begins. And I want you to think about Mary with me for a minute because it may be a little bit of a different take on Mary than you've thought about in the past. I mean, we tend to idealize Mary. You know, we've got Mary in a little plastic figurine sitting on a mantle or something, or we've got a plastic glow-in-the-dark Mary sitting out in our yard. We, we tend to think about Mary in these different, you know, sort of 21st century terms. Mary in her day was essentially a no one. Mary's like the least likely person ever, anybody would have ever expected anything to come from or through. Mary was a woman in a day when women were not respected. Mary was 12 to 13 years old. Digest that for a second. She was a youth in a day when youth was not respected. She was a peasant. She had no money. She had no influence. Nothing. She was a Jewish slave to the Roman Empire. I guarantee you that won her no respect, no regard. She wasn't even regarded well by her own people. Why? She's from Nazareth. Remember the story in the Gospels where Philip comes to faith in Christ and he's so jazzed he's got to share it. Kind of a theme, by the way. So he runs and he finds Nathaniel and he's like, hey, you know what? We found the Messiah and he's Jesus of... Uh, <clears throat> well, he sit down, Nathaniel. He's Jesus of... Uh, he's from... Well, he's from Nazareth. What does Nathaniel say? Because he gives voice to the prevailing opinion of people in the Jewish community on those from Nazareth. He says, Nazareth? <laughs> Can anything good come from Nazareth? Mary came from Nazareth. And the reason I introduce her to you that way is because I promise that as soon as I begin to say, you know what, there is a gift and a cost to Christmas, and not just for God, but for me and for you, Okay? Our tendency is to start looking around and going, ah, you know, maybe there's a gift and a cost of Christmas for that person over there, you know, or that family over there, or that section of people like, you know, all these people over here, or, you know, in other words, but not for me. And that kind of makes sense as you begin to construct your argument and you begin to look at the circumstances of your life and you begin to sort of make the case that, okay, this whole series is for somebody else. And then you run into Mary and it all collapses. God delights and using the most unlikely people to do the most marvelous things. It's a pattern. It runs all the way through the Bible. So Mary's story begins in Luke chapter 1, beginning of verse 26, where we read this. It says, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called, here it is, Nazareth. See, if they were making up this story, they would have left that piece out. Nobody respected the people from Nazareth. Can anything good come? Well, apparently it can. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And I could parse every one of these words and every one little phrase contained in that paragraph. There's so much there. I just want you to see one thing. Luke is telling you that this is a woman who thought, at least, that she had her whole life figured out. She's engaged. So what did that mean? Well, it means that she's going to marry a guy named Joseph. They're going to have at least a handful of children. He's going to have a successful career as a general contractor. 
They're going to retire someday to a village on the Mediterranean. They're going to live out their days enjoying their grandchildren and who knows, great-grandchildren. In other words, she thinks that she has her whole life figured out and it looks a lot like the American dream. And she's wrong. She's wrong. Mary is a lot more like you and I than we realize. We look at a story like this, ah, it's 2,000 years old and it's an ancient person and an ancient character and an ancient time and ancient this and that. Just like us. Least likely people. And they think, she thinks she has her life figured out. She thinks she knows what direction it's going to head. She's got her plan. She's got a lot invested in that plan. It doesn't work out for her the way that she thought that it would. And that, too, is a pattern in the Bible. It's a pattern in the lives of Christians. Life for followers of Jesus oftentimes work out radically in different ways than anything that we ever planned for, anything that we ever hoped for, anything that we ever thought that it would. And if you think about it just for a minute biblically, that kind of makes sense. I mean, you'd almost expect that that would be the case. Why? Because the Bible comes to us and says things like, you are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. You've been bought with a price, parenthetically. That's the cost of Christmas to God. That price. He owns us. And we're all happy about that. We're cool with that. We know the verses. We spit them back. We tell that to each other and everything is fine until that God who owns us steps up in our life and then takes control of it and starts saying things like, look, I know you wanted to go over here. I'm having you go over here. Hey, hey I get that, you know, part of your plan is you're going to do this. No, 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 no. We're going to go over here with this. You're going to do this. I know you have a plan and I know you've invested years in your plan and you studied and you got degrees in your plan and you did this in your plan and that in your plan. You got all kind of stuff going on in your plan, but I have a better plan. Now, what's the problem with God's better plan? The problem is that it requires faith. You know what that means? That means that when we look at it with our two eyes, it doesn't look like a better plan. It looks like a scary plan. It looks less safe, less comfortable, and a whole lot more expensive than anything that we had ever planned for. Certainly that's true for Mary. I mean, Mary's engaged. Hello, and if you know where the story's going, and I know that you do, she's about to hear that she's going to turn up pregnant, and here's her explanation. Virgin birth. It's creative. It's lunacy, unless it's real. So she's got to be thinking at this point, hey, God, great idea, really bad timing. I mean, cannot we wait until after I get married? What is this going to do to my engagement? What is this going to do to my family? What is this going to do to the five kids and the, the, the villa on the Mediterranean and, and, and my you know, American dream? What is this going to do to my reputation? Great idea, bad time. No, good timing. Perfect timing. God is not going to allow a wedding to foul up the purity of the birth of his son. But it's costly to marry. 
And there too, I think we can relate. You know, I think there, we hear about a gift and cost of Christmas and you're like, ah, you want me to open myself up to this idea? What genuine need of a genuinely needy person? Be like, hey, you know what? That's a great idea. Really bad timing. Is it? Not if the Lord calls you to do it and to do it now. So Luke says, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he, this angel, said to her, greetings, favored one. And then he says, and the Lord, meaning the Lord in all of his glory and all of his power and with all of his resources. You see, that's what he's purchased for us. That's the gift that he's purchased by paying the price of Christmas for us. The Lord, he says, is with you, which is good news, and it's also exactly what we need to hear when God comes and interrupts absolutely everything and says, take your plan, set it aside. We don't need that anymore. I have a better plan. And you're like, whoa, 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 it doesn't feel better. But it is. Greetings, favored one. That's who you are through faith in Jesus. That is the gift of Christmas to you paid for by the price that Christ paid on the cross for you. You are the favored ones of God, not because, you know, of anything you've done, but because of everything He did. It's a gift, greetings, favored one. The Lord in all His glory, power, and with all of His resources is with you. Hooray! And then it says, but Mary was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of a salutation, what kind of a... A greeting this was, you know, and you can imagine that. I mean, what is this woman thinking? I mean, what emotions are you having at this point? Good grief, I'm picking out flatware and an angel shows up to talk to me. That's perplexing. But she's pondering his words. Very interesting woman. And so the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you, just in case you missed it the first time, have found favor with God. And here's what that means for you. It means giving birth to Jesus. It means bringing forth the gift of Christmas. And I think there too is a point of contact between us and her. Look, we're not going to give birth to the baby Jesus, okay? That's her privilege. That's unique to her in all the universe and in all space and time. But is it not the will of God to bring forth Jesus in and through us as well? And not just verbally, but physically, but tangibly, are we not called with our lips and with our lives to produce Christ in the midst of our homes and in the midst of our offices, in the midst of this community, in the midst of this city, in real and tangible ways, meeting genuine needs of genuinely needy people physically, spiritually, in the name of Christ and for His glory? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And here's what that means. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. 
What a privilege to be a part of that. What an amazing thing it is to build that, to bring forth that. Everything we do in life, everything apart from that has an end. His kingdom has no end. And so Mary asks the obvious question. It's the same thing maybe you're thinking this morning. She says, how can I do this? Right? How can this be since I'm a virgin? She's saying, naturally, I am incapable of doing what it is that you said. She's real clear on the message. It's not ambiguous. You're going to have a baby. He's going to be the son of God. Okay. Got that. I'm tracking with you. But how is this going to happen? And that may be exactly what you're thinking. You know, the reality is, and I know this reality because I live on its edge. So many of us run on the edge, the edge of our resources, the edge of our energies, the edge of our ability to give, to hear, to invest, to listen, to counsel, to, you know, half the time you feel like you just need to go run and hide somewhere so you can recover from all of the output. And you come to church to get charged up, and now you're hearing about the gift and cost but to you. And it's like, man, I got no space for this. I mean, I have no margin for this. I have no energy for this. I have no resources for this, not, not physically, not emotionally, nothing. I'm looking at this and you're saying, ask God what it is that He wants me to do this Christmas season, and I, I'm worried about just getting done what's already on my plate. How can I do this? Well, you can't. But there's help. Mary says to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and gave her the answer. Here it is. The Holy Spirit. That's it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Mary, what you are incapable of doing and yet called of God to do, God will enable you to do by His Spirit. He's going to do it in you, and He's going to do it through you. And that's a pattern too. And you know why I think that's a pattern? It's a pattern because the goal of all things is the glory of God. And when God does it through people who so obviously can't do it, then it's clear who's done it, and He gets the glory. But it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, does it? I don't know how many of you have ever witnessed a birth. I've I've been there three times. I've watched like two via Lamaze video. I think I've shared with you in the past, if I'd seen the Lamaze video before the whole deal, I'm not sure that we'd have children. It scared me half to death. I... Births are not easy. They're messy. They're painful. But what do they bring forth? Oh, they bring forth something precious, don't they? Something beautiful, something amazing, something life-changing, something profound, something unbelievably significant. And when you look back upon those births, it's not so much the pain and the mess that you recall as the joy of the product of that pain and mess. Producing Christ is not an easy thing. It's messy. It's difficult. And it is filled with joy. 
So Mary's sitting around picking out flatware, and an angel shows up and says, okay, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to be the son of God. And she says to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit, there's your answer, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And then the angel said something else, and it's part, maybe my favorite part of the story. He says, and behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. What is he saying? He's saying, Mary, this woman who has been in your life all of your life is also miraculously pregnant. And if you know her, the story of that pregnancy, that pregnancy also was announced by an angel. What is God in grace doing? He's placed strategically someone in Mary's life who can relate, I mean actually relate, to what she's about to go through, who can strengthen her, who can encourage her, who can comfort her, who can counsel her, who can resource her, who can hug her, who can actually legitimately say, I believe you, and you're not crazy. Because everyone in Mary's life is going to think she's crazy. Everyone. Even Joseph thinks she's crazy. He needs an angelic visitation to convince him otherwise. Wouldn't you? I want to ask you this morning, does anybody in your life think you're crazy? Because if not, that's a problem. Seriously. Following Jesus Christ, quite frankly, should look crazy. There should be people in your office who think you're a little nuts. Because of the way you commit yourself to following the Lord, people in your school ought to at times just kind of scratch their head and go, I don't get it. People in your family should see your devotion and the way you sacrifice and the way you live and go, that's nuts. If nobody thinks you're nuts, something's wrong. You know, Bill Hybels, who's a pastor at a big church outside of Chicago, talks about a time that he got a phone call from a guy who was like a major donor in his church and big time invested in other ways too. But the guy just called him up and said, hey, Bill, I need to get together with you. I just need to talk to you. I just, you know, I just need to work through something. And, you know, when can we meet? Obviously, it was urgent. So he said, okay, well, you know, let's have lunch. So they met for lunch that day and they sat down and Bill said, all right, what's up? And the guy said, look, um, this is going to seem a little weird, but I just need for you to tell me that I'm not crazy because my accountant thinks I'm crazy. And my business partners think I'm crazy. And some of the friends and the people that I run with, I don't get it. And some of the people in my family, I mean, you know, they might not be saying it, but they don't understand. And I know that I'm doing what I'm called to do. I know that I'm giving what I'm gifted and able to do. I know that I have found my thing, as we talk about here at Rio, and I'm doing my thing, and there's joy in the doing of it. I'm obedient to God, but I just need for you every once in a while to pull me aside and say, listen, the time that you invest, the effort that you spend, the way that you give, and all of the things that you sacrifice and don't have to do these things 
is not crazy. You are not crazy. God gave Elizabeth to Mary, and He has given you and I to each other. This is a journey we go on together. This is a mission that we have as brothers and sisters, as a people. And every once in a while, we just need to pull each other aside and go, you know what, I so appreciate what you do. And by the way, you're not crazy. For Jesus is real. So the angel says, and behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. She too is miraculously pregnant. Good news. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And so ends the angel's speech. And so begins the drum roll in this story. There's a tension that builds in this story. It's like it's building and it's building and it's building and it's peaking and it's growing and it comes really honestly to a climax right here. And the tension, the big question is, what in the world is Mary going to do, you know? And as you're following the story, you're going, wow, what is she going to do? What is she going to do? What is she? You're not doing that at all. I don't do that. I've heard this story a thousand times. I've preached this story like eight times. There's no suspense in this story at all, is there? The question isn't, what is Mary going to do? We all know the answer to that. Thank goodness. I promise you she never regretted doing it. The suspense and the tension and the drum roll is for me. It's for you. The question is, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? What are you going to do? If or when God walks up to us and by His Spirit, He sort of taps us on the shoulder and He says, okay, here's the deal. You know the question, right? What genuine need of a genuinely needy person would I have you to meet? There's your answer. What will we do? I mean, knowing that, you know, obviously there are other people who are better qualified to do it than we are, but He's talking to us. Knowing that the timing is not going to be the timing that we would have chosen, but it's the timing that He has chosen, knowing that we are incapable. It's like I'm stretched, I'm, I'm beat, I'm, I got... And yet the Holy Spirit is capable. And knowing that more than a few people, I hope, are going to think we're a little bit nuts, but surrounded also by a group of people who are in it together with us and who continually remind us that we're anything but nuts. Everything we invest in in life, everything we build and do, every bit of it ends but the kingdom. His kingdom never ends. So what's the best investment of your life? Mary says this in verse 38. It says, and Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord. What is she saying? She's saying, I don't belong to me. I belong to him. And so here it all is. My impending marriage, my handful or so of children, the Mediterranean villa. Sure hoping we can work that one back in, God. But anyway, I hope so too. My reputation, my hopes, plans, dreams, agendas, maps that I've created for myself, blah, blah, blah. Even my own body, 
the most thing that is most personal to you. She is saying, all of it belongs to God. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's her answer. But the drum rolls for you. And it rolls for me. Will you receive by faith, if you haven't done so already, the gift of Jesus and all of the benefits, which are infinite and overwhelming, that He has purchased for us with His own life? And then, will you stop this Christmas season and in light of the gift and cost of Christmas to God, Will you lay yourself before him and say, you know, I don't belong to me, I belong to you. Here it all is, even the plans. Now, you might have to yank them out of your hand, but whatever. What gift would you have me give this Christmas, Lord? What cost would you have me, not begrudgingly, but joyfully to pay? What genuine need of a genuinely needy person would you have me to me. I want to close today by asking Wes Shelton to come on up. Uh, Wes is in my community group, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about the Heart Gallery. You may have noticed all of the pictures all around, and they're going to be up throughout the Christmas season. Uh, this Christmas season, at the end of every message, we're going to feature one of the ministries that we support, primarily centered around the issues of foster care and adoption and all the different ways that you can get involved in that, if that's what the Lord's asking you to do, and that's really why we're doing it. We're doing it to give God the opportunity to sort of step up and pat you on the shoulder and go, okay, you know the question, right? What genuine need, genuinely needy person, we got that down? All right, good. Perhaps in the midst of one of these presentations, he'll say, there's your answer. There it is. That's what I want you to do. Or maybe not. Maybe he'll answer it at your office. Maybe he'll answer it at your school. Maybe he'll answer it at, you know, in your neighborhood or in the quietness of your own home. Our prayer is that you and I will just ask. And then that when he answers, we'll do what he says. Okay? Amen.